I have with me Ashley Olson from the League of Women Voters. Who You're based out of Annapolis. And I have Walter Olson, a Cato Institute scholar, who is the co-chair of the Emergency Commission on the 6th Congressional District Gerrymandering. This, And tonight you had a public forum. And the public forum was to hear from members of the community about the proposed map. And I want to start from the very beginning, Ashley and Walter, how this process got started. And it all started after the day after the election. It, it couldn't even wait <laughs> until a few weeks after. It was literally a few days. I think it was the day after the election on a Wednesday when a federal three-judge panel ruled that the 6th Congressional District map, the district as it stands, is unconstitutional and it's in violation of the First Amendment. Walter, what happened there? This litigation, of course, has been going on for quite a long time and had already been up to the Supreme Court twice, but the timing of the court's opinion was nonetheless interesting because it uh, chose to uh, deliver it the day after the election and it uh, ruled unanimously, um, and that was significant because the uh, panel had been split on some earlier uh, issues in the case. Uh, but on this, they were unanimous. Uh, uh, one judge appointed by a Republican president and two by President Obama, I believe, that the 6th District, uh, the one that uh, begins close to the D.C. border in Montgomery County and slithers its way um, <laughs> up the Potomac, um, making inroads to catch the city of Frederick and then taking in western Maryland, uh, that it was not just a gerrymander. Everyone knew it was a gerrymander, especially after the um, legal record had been developed to um, include depositions of, of officials from back then, but that it violated the First Amendment. And um, for those who follow the case, uh, one of the things that interests the U.S. Supreme Court is that most litigation about partisan gerrymandering uh, has been based on the idea that it violates the Equal Protection Clause. And most of what the court has had to say is about the Equal Protection Clause. This is different. This follows the idea that Justice Anthony Kennedy outlined in um, a concurrence uh, some years ago before he retired from the bench, saying that um, a different way of conceiving of why partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional is that uh, it retaliates against people for their First Amendment ex um, uh, activity, in particular for having voted for what uh, the insiders see as the wrong candidates. And uh, that was the decision that the three-judge panel embraced, almost guaranteeing that it would wind up uh, being taken once again to the U.S. Supreme Court. So that's where we are today. the The case was brought the the court case was brought before the the, the, the federal district uh, court by was it a group of Republicans in the case, in, in, in the sixth district. Um, and the case started out as a broader challenge to many elements of the map, and as it went along, in part in order to fit it to the First Amendment theory, it was whittled down to be a, a uh, uh, more focused suit uh, only over the 6th District, and that uh, has important implications rather than against the whole map. Uh, but on behalf of uh, Republican activists and others um, on the grounds that they could identify an injury uh, that some of the other original plaintiffs in the case might not have been able to describe the injury the same way. Ashley, the, the map as it stands, the congressional district that we are in now, we're in the 6th, Germantown is part of that, and 
back in 2012 is when the new map went into effect. And that was when they elected Congressman John Delaney. It used to be Congressman Roscoe Bartlett. Of course, he ran in that congressional race in 2012. He lost to John Delaney. But I don't, I don't want to focus on politics because that's, that's not what my interest is tonight, but it's more so the process. The map as it stands now, what are your thoughts on how the district was drawn um, back um, a few years ago, over six or seven years ago, by the previous administration and Martin O'Malley's administration? How, how do we wind up where we are today? I think the governor even admitted that, the former governor, Martin O'Malley. In fact, yeah. Um, yes, he admitted that much. And so um, other depositions as well uh, supported that, that the district had been gerrymandered to flip the district from one party to the other. Um, and so that's how we've ended up with uh, where we are today. And the current process in Maryland uh, just kind of sets you up for this sort of thing as well because the process as it stands has traditionally been the governor appoints an advisory committee and it has been uh, the leader of the Senate and the leader of the House and then um, another uh, Democratic ally of each and then a token Republican. And so that has been the makeup of the advisory committee, and that committee has done its work mostly behind closed doors, which is unique about our commission, is the transparency of our commission. It's in public, of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I think there was only minimal opportunity for public comment. So the district extends from Garrett County all the way up in Deep Creek Lake down to Allegheny County. It has all of Garrett, has all of uh, Allegheny has all of Washington County, uh, Hagerstown, where I grew up, extends down to portions of Frederick and portions of Montgomery. Montgomery makes up a huge sliver of the map, including where we are here in Germantown, uh, North Potomac. It, I believe it goes all the way down to River Road. One side of River Road is in the 6th Congressional District, and the other side is in the 8th Congressional District, which is unique. And in fact, the, the the former congressman lived about a block and a half away from the district, or maybe a I I I don't know. It was a few hundred yards if he just went across the street. And the current congressman, I think, the same scenario. He is in down in Potomac. Now, the U.S. Constitution does not require any congressional candidate to run in their legislative district. Otherwise, David Trone would have he ran in the, the eighth previously, but he's not required to live in the district that he represents. So here we are today, a day after the election that David Trone was elected to Congress for his first term. Uh, He's a Democrat. The, the commission then formed, what is the process, Walter? How did, after the, the three judge panel ruled and could you explicitly state their ruling and then what happened next at the statewide level? Okay. The court came out with its ruling, um, uh, a lengthy opinion going into detail about um, why it was uh, adopting the constitutional law theory that it was resting it, uh, on uh, looking forward to what remedies it might want to see, um, but dropped a bombshell, as it were, into uh, the uh, politics of the uh, 
state's congressional delegation, and uh, two responses. One, uh, State Attorney General Brian Frosch um, fairly promptly um, uh, took uh, an appeal to, to the re requested and got uh, review by the U.S. Supreme Court, um, at which point the case was stayed. It was um, uh, what had been a remedy that uh, uh, required a quick fix of the district was put on ice, as it were, uh, for a while, while the Supreme Court had a chance to look at it. And the other thing that happened in short order was that Governor Hogan appointed the Emergency Commission on Sixth District uh, gerrymandering. And uh, this was not in a vacuum. Uh, both Ashley Olson and I, who I should say are not related to each other and spell our last names differently, <laughs> um, uh, we had both been members of uh, the uh, still ongoing about a uh, Maryland Redistricting Reform Commission formed in 2015 um, to fulfill one of Governor Hogan's campaign promises of um, uh, getting a blueprint of how redistricting should be done in a reformed state so that Maryland could show a good example to the other states instead of one of the very worst examples. And so some of the ideas that that commission had endorsed and that the governor had turned into legislation, which he has filed each year in the legislature since, include um, principles of good redistricting, such as compactness of districts, uh, following county lines, not breaking up municipalities, things like that, um, uh, um, but also uh, ambitious principles for uh, having it done by a body that is as impartial and independent as possible, um, not by the insiders from the legislature, but by citizen volunteers um, who would um, come together in um, formation so that no registrants from one party would not have a majority. There would be, uh, in, in the case of, of this emergency commission, there were, uh, he initially appointed uh, uh, Judge Alex Williams, me and Ashley Olson as the first three members of the mm -hmm. commission. All of us had served on the earlier one. And then uh, gave us leeway to pick uh, six more members, two from each of the three piles, as it were, two Democrats, two Republicans, and two independents, uh, which we did, and forming a nine-member commission. And uh, again, this is in miniature and on a somewhat speeded up basis because the timelines had to be more compressed here in order to make it work uh, by, by the end of the legislative session. But um, our process with the Emergency Commission in some ways models what independent redistricting might look like for the whole state were the idea applied to the whole state. Ashley, the process then moving forward after the commission was formed nine members. And I, I want to note that I believe tonight there was only seven members here. Is that correct? correct? Because two members, unfortunately, I believe had to drop off because they did not meet the original requirements as reported um, by several media outlets. And I think the reason was because they were former lobbyists. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, the uh, two, two had to quit. In one case, uh, um, she had overlooked that. In the other case, uh, there was an issue of continuous party registration. But the, uh, when, when it was realized that they did not meet the requirements, both of them uh, uh, immediately offered to, to leave. So we have seven members on the commission. Uh, with that continuing uh, party balance of no majority from any one uh, party the, um, as before. 
actually an issue of um, continuous registration in Maryland. Yeah, continuous registration. I see. Oh, I'm sorry. It was, it was not a party issue. Uh, it was never a question of his not being independent. It was a question of whether he had had the continuous Maryland registration uh, without a D.C. interruption. Well, they resigned immediately. Is there, in, is there intention by this committee to appoint two new members in place of them, or are you going to stick with seven? That's up to the governor. I think the practicality of it is that we are nearing the end of our work, the, and that clearly it's a uh, time crunch. Uh, that the uh, having been through the various hearings and workshops, um, and having voted unanimously, all nine mm-hmm. unanimously at, at the time, um, that we have um, what it takes, uh, as far as we can tell, to to finish the process, which is only a matter of a couple more weeks. So let's talk about the process, Ashley. After the commission was formed. Uh, what did the governor require you as to do in terms of meetings and designing a new map and creating a map that would uh, be constitutional um, in accordance with what the federal judge, uh, federal, federal three judge panel rules? What happened? So, in terms of how many public meetings that we had, uh, so I believe that the mandate was we had to have at least one in the sixth district, and um, we kind of decided amongst ourselves how many we thought uh, would, were necessary to really try to reach a wide audience and get a lot of public input. Um, I think it was my fault that we ended up making the long journey out to uh, Cumberland because I just felt like they hadn't yet uh, been touched by our study commission and um, they definitely had a lot to say about it. And so we had the three meetings prior to um, having our workshops and um, we decided, I think we decided amongst ourselves about the two workshops that we had. And I think that you can see in the video that um, we all had done a lot of um, corresponding and our own research looking at those maps um, and uh, thinking for ourselves. And so the call that we had, because we had a snow day, so we had a public call where people could call in. And then uh, between that time and the decisions that we made there, uh, we were really able to solidify uh, the pro- or like what we wanted to propose moving forward in terms of the public max emissions and what we thought was going to be a good fix for District 6. Let's talk about the the map now that has been submitted. I, I read in the Washington Post that it was ultimately drawn by uh, someone from the who's a contributor to the Daily Cost, is that correct? And the, the map that um, is going to be submitted to the General Assembly. Uh, it includes all of Garrett, all of Allegheny, all of Washington, all of Frederick, a, a portion of, of Carroll, and a, por- a, a small portion of Montgomery County, in, including, I believe, uh, the upper M- Montgomery County portion, the northern part of Poolsville, and is it Boyd's as well? Um, yeah, a, a fairly large slice geographically of Montgomery, including uh, Germantown, which of course is a substantial community with a lot of people in it, but also including communities like Damascus and uh, uh, Clark, Clarkstown. How does Clarksburg. this how does this map differ from the two thousand the previous map that Roscoe Bartlett served in from two thousand or nineteen ninety, I believe nineteen ninety two until two thousand and twelve? I, I know it had bits and pieces of the top of Baltimore County, and I believe a sliver of Harford and um, a very small portion of Howard County. How did, how did you design this map? How did this come to fruition? So in terms of um, the historical mapping and being able to 
pull District 6 once again back across the top of Carroll County or Hartford um, or Baltimore. And um, all of that was, we had decided on our first workshop call that we wanted to minimally disrupt the districts because within our mandate from the court, we were to fix District 6. Right. And we weren't prohibited from changing other districts. But if we were to shift any more <laughs> of what than what we have between six and eight, it was we found it nearly impossible to do just three districts or just four districts. You'd have to do all eight districts. And that's the challenge here is that the if if taking a look at a Maryland congressional district map, of course the six is clearly gerrymandered to use that word. Um, and then if you look at the third congressional district, that has taken uh, on a whole new level of the term gerrymandering. I mean, I think it characterizes the word perfectly because if you look at Anne Arundel County, I believe they have four or five members and not a resident yeah. congressman. Yeah. Um, as Ashley says, the, um, we were focused um, by the time we had uh, studied the map, and the court's language encouraged um, us to go in that particular way because it included favorable comments about uh, what we can call the two-district solution, that is a swap of territory between six and eight. The court had language indicating that it was interested in that as a minimally invasive fix, which would create a constitutional sixth um, without a tremendous disruption. And as Ashley said, once you begin trying to improve it beyond that. And I think many of us uh, were uh, playing around with the map software that uh, everyone could use that will get to public map submission in a moment. But um, you find, some compared it to balloon squeezing, and uh, of course 721,000 or so people must be in each district. So if you take, to start with one of the clear things that one would like to do, if, if you reunited Carroll County by taking that chunk out of the first district, then the first district has to be given some territory somewhere else with the same number of people in it. Now, um, that's amazing that the the first district extends all the way up into Carroll County. I believe the first district has bits and pieces of Tawny Town. I, I believe yes, it has all of Tawny Town, and um, and so um, we even put in a bit of a, a plaintive request to the public because public map submission was in process, and I said um, even if none of us have figured out how to. Um, make a couple of switches like that without causing um, unexpected and unwelcome consequences in very rem remote parts of the state. Because um, <clears throat> just to take one example, uh, if you take that territory away from one and you have to expand one somewhere, uh, well, one of the possibilities is for one to jump across the Bay Bridge and become the fifth Anne Arundel district. Uh, imagine subjecting Anne Arundel County to five different members of Congress instead of four. And likewise, None of them live there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and likewise, there were ways of uh, – there, there was one um, that squeezed the balloons in Aberdeen and Owings Mills yeah. and one or two other places. And uh, we ran into um, a couple of big obvious questions. One is, would the court consider this to be an adequate response to what it had indicated it wanted? Um, very unclear that it would. Another one would be, even if the court were satisfied, um, could we – uh, claimed that public notice and comment had worked as well when we had publicized uh, what we were doing on our side of the state. But, of course, many fewer people in Aberdeen would know about it. Well, 
Let's talk about map submission, because that's the fun part, is opening the process up to the public. Um, I am a member, current member of the uh, current resident of the 6th District. I think I was born, raised, and in, in, instead of, well, in a temporary leave of going to Pittsburgh, where I knew who my congressman was in Pittsburgh for many years, but I came back and growing up in Hagerstown and then moving to North Potomac and then over to Gaithersburg. I'm right there in the 6th. Um, I did not submit a map. My my wife was playing around with it, and and um, I, I looked at her map and I said, I don't I don't think that's going to pass. Well, she, <laughs> I think she submitted something, <laughs> um, but she had a lot of fun playing around it. What was that process like? How many submissions did this commission receive um, from from the public? I think uh, we thought it was around twenty, um, and we only were considering ones that were valid maps. So you had to have the population correct, and I think it wouldn't allow you to actually submit an invalid map that had like you know five hundred thousand in one district and seven hundred mm. or nine. It's is it seven hundred and twenty-one thousand five hundred nine to be correct? Thank you for memorizing that. I, I never did memorize it. But, uh, and so, yeah, the, um, the first thing that you found with public map submission, and it's, it's a wonderful process, and it has proved itself in a number of other states. Uh, it's a very powerful process because uh, if the um, people on a commission are being either lazy or partisan, then a publicly submitted map can come in right over their head and show a better way of doing things than they were planning to do it. And I, um, uh, so we, we watched with great interest. Um, for better or worse, a lot of the public submissions, and when I say a lot, I mean like more than half, I think, were uh, all eight redraws in which um, people did not take the hint. And of course, we were close to the text of the court's opinion, and they, they were not. They were working with public software. But so a lot of submissions came in that redrew the entire map from scratch. Now, this is good in one way in that uh, it's hard to find anyone who does not agree in principle that the whole map should be withdrawn. Uh, so we were cheering in that sense. You know, the, uh, yes, you are trying to eliminate a lot of injustice and a lot of uh, uh, general badness as you do this. And also it becomes part of the public record and it gets people used to the idea of having done it for this project, they could do it in a year or two when um, consideration moves on to the entire map, which will have to be redone after the new census. That having been said, although uh, there were a bunch of well-done, interesting, all eight redraws, um, we had to set them aside given what we believe to be the mission of, of our particular uh, commission was. Did, did you ultimately pick the map in its current form or did you pick a, a form of that sub, uh, a submission and then tweak it a bit then, and then decide um, the, on the map that you ultimately will present to the Maryland General Assembly? So you picked a submission. Picked one of the submissions, and did they have their name attached to it? Oh, this is one of the interesting things: is that it can be anonymous, or people could include their name with the submission. And we got them both ways. Well, we got some maps submitted, and we had no idea who the people were. They could, mm -hmm. they might have been from out of the United States, but but the idea here is not to insist that they come from um, nearby, but to get as many good map submissions as possible. Mm -hmm. And it worked well for that. Um, as things went on, we found that of serious attempts to solve um, our local problem of 
of, of getting the sixth district, but not the whole map. Um, there were four possibilities, and they had family resemblances to each other. All of them did the same thing to the Frederick and Carroll County portions of the district. The question was how they drew the lines in Montgomery. So we had four different variations of how to draw the line across Montgomery, uh, with the four plans all agreeing on everything else about it. And and looking at when when the inf- the data was submitted. Looking at Montgomery County, I believe it has about, what, 65,000 residents included in the map, and then Frederick has the bulk of the district. I think it's more than 65,000. Is it more than 60? Yeah, I think it's more like, uh, it may not be as many as 200,000, but I think it's more than 100,000 Montgomery residents. Uh, Germantown is a large community, and of course there are many other uh, northern uh, county communities that are also uh, in there. The... Briefly, um, the line, uh, under the assumptions that the other things are, are, are changing, um, the line has to cross around Mid-County, and it has to um, split up from each other, although not internally, the three big communities, um, uh, Germantown, Gaithersburg, and Montgomery Village, can't all be on one side of the line, or else the population doesn't come out. So three of the four maps... Uh, uh, agreed with what we did, which is to have Germantown on the 6th district side and Gaithersburg and Montgomery Village on the 8th district side. And there's a um, particular natural feature, a stream, that uh, allows you to achieve that separation fairly neatly without uh, leaving either community divided. Uh, the thir- the fourth possibility uh, did things a little bit differently. It um, kept together the 270 mid-county communities, uh, and then it led to um, more of a pincer effect of the of District 6 coming down considerably further on either side. Uh, we looked at that. Uh, we thought that we, we thought we saw the idea behind it, which is to um, keep um, strongly commuter-oriented, uh, more urban parts of the county together, but we didn't like the lack of compactness. We didn't like the fact that uh, the lines seemed to be veering uh, in order to achieve that objective, rather more than they should fear. It looks like the map also extends up to uh, to Emmitsburg and uh, to all of which is now, I believe, in the eighth district. Um, right, um, northern Frederick County, and in general, the more rural parts of Frederick County are all in the current district eight, and all of the plans that we took uh, uh, to the last round. Um, uh, combined that with the 6th, as it had always been with the 6th. The Frederick County had never been split since uh, long back in the 19th century. There there had never been a split of Frederick County. So we reunited Frederick County and also the the portion of Carroll County that was adjacent. Ashley, one of the questions that I hear when I'm out on the beat uh, talking about the the redistricting, redistricting commission and this new map is what the partisan breakdown will be. Is that flipping from will it be a, a D plus five district or will it go to, you know, an R plus five or six district? Okay. We're not we're not allowed to think about that. You're not and, allowed and to think we, about that. <laughs> that's, is that's the that that's that's not your problem. Okay. Yeah, it's it's specifically our non problem because uh, isn't that great? Yeah, and 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 you know when we give public hearings like the one tonight. Um, it will happen that someone from the public steps forward who has been thinking about partisan things. And we don't literally put cotton in our ears. In but fact, I, that was and, the first question yes. out the gate. And I, I, I know this individual, and she's a Republican, and she said, well, my 
personal beliefs, my partisan beliefs, reflect more you know the north potomac and the rockville that's more reflective of the sixth district in its current form and you made the state well that's not really our issue our issue is to draw a constitutionally acceptable map and so that's interesting yeah we had very clear marching orders not to take into account political colorations of neighborhoods from the governor or uh, yeah okay um and the um uh so we um uh, you know, anyone who's uh, familiar with how uh, trials go forward uh, recognizes that sometimes there is testimony that the jury is instructed to disregard. <laughs> so we were all just instructing ourselves to disregard the testimony. So, <laughs> Ashley, now we're up against, once this map will be submitted, and I should note that next week, mm-hmm. next Wednesday, there is a another public forum for this commission. You will meet at Hagerstown Community College, um, just outside of Hagerstown, to to hear it from members of the public T- tonight's meeting it felt I, I wouldn't say it was filled up but I, it looks like there was about 40 people or so that came out and maybe about six or seven expressed their opinions of the map and now you're up against a con- two major time crunches one is that you have one element is the supreme court is ultimately going to rule on the, the federal level on the redistricting their redistricting case what i think by june should be an opinion should come out and those usually come out um june 20th june 21st Toward the end of the term if the the, the big Controversial, interesting cases are often held toward the last week or two of the court's term. Isn't Maryland also included on the federal side, along with a North Carolina case, uh, yes. um, Walter? Yeah. And uh, people expect those to be big cases, and no one will be surprised if the court waits till uh, the end of the term. And, Ashley, the attorney general decided that he was going to appeal, and that threw another wrench into this, but... The one one argument and one side of the logic says if the Supreme Court rules on a more universal approach instead of a statewide approach, then ultimately that will that will carry down into Maryland and will redraw the system. However, on the flip side of that is the three judge panel ruled and the governor said it's time to act now for the state of Maryland. We need to do what we need to do here. And once this map is submitted to the General Assembly, is there the possibility that you might face that the General Assembly says, we're not even going to consider this because we're going to wait for the federal, for the Supreme Court to rule? I mean, I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, There's also legislation uh, that's been uh, introduced in the 2019 session in terms of uh, putting forward a commission process that uh, Walter described earlier that was recommended by our study commission. And we have heard that um, from committees and from other people who are testifying against that, that we should wait on the Supreme Court to find out what they think and what we should do here. And I think that we've been saying, and I know that Judge Williams has been saying, that um, we shouldn't wait on the courts to act. So this is the state's responsibility, and it shouldn't be in the hands of the courts. This is something that we should take care of ourselves. Um, but definitely we run the chance of hearing that. However, I think that it was really important that we did start this work when we did because time is of the essence. And so we have put in the work and we have produced a good product and we'll hear more from the public before we finalize this product. 
Um, but we'll have we'll have been you know four months into this by then, or five months into this by then. And so, if it turns out that the Supreme Court just affirms the judgment and says go ahead with the process to produce a new map, then we've done that. Is that the outcome that you are seeking or that you're hoping for? As as far I mean, think about all the work that you have done. Um, You've spent a lot of time doing this, and I should mention that none of you are being paid for this. This is all volunteer basis, um, and which strikes up another issue is that I've seen partisan attacks aimed at this commission. In fact, the we're in Germantown. This is District 39. Delegate Kirill Resnick of District 39, who has represented the district for um, uh, over 10 years now, has called this commission a sham commission. And my, I haven't talked to Delegate Resnick my, personally, but that it, it, it appears maybe he's aiming that at the governor, who's a Republican, um, rather than the, the work of the commission itself. Um, my my observation is that this commission has been 100% transparent above board and had followed the, the, the strictures placed by the governor. And you're just, you're doing a job. You're doing the job that the governor has asked you to do. And if I could get back to the point Ashley was making about what different purposes we serve uh, by doing this work. Um, in some ways, I suppose, uh, uh, the first best answer would be for the uh, legislature to get religion in the last days of term, say, you know, uh, you're right, we need a constitutional district, uh, uh, adopt this or some other variation, which causes the case to be rendered moot because uh, they've redistricted District 6 into something that the court finds constitutional. Uh, if that does not happen, and we all know that there's a possibility it won't happen, um, uh, our work can help in a couple of other ways. One is, as Ashley was mentioning, um, if the Supreme Court upholds what the three-judge panel basically said, perhaps with a change or two or in its entirety, then it lands back in the court's lap. And, uh, but uh, although it discussed remedies that it might want to order back in November, it now has an additional option, which is that it has a map that not only is similar to what it said it was looking for in a map as a remedy, but that has been through a lot of public process, um, uh, hearings, public notice, public map submission, in order to perhaps refine it and um, make it, um, uh, you know, bring in those uh, particular benefits that you get by uh, having a public process. So the court has an additional option that it didn't have before. It can look at our map and use it either in its entirety or as a starting point to perhaps tweak it a little further. There's yet another possibility I would point out, which is um, special session. One of the possibilities, if the three-judge panel is upheld by the Supreme Court, is um, the legislature, which would, of course, have adjourned in April, um, might not want the court to uh, take control of the process because that might lead to unexpected places. So if they held a special session and came back, we will have given them a big head start on considering what a um, good redraw might look like that would satisfy the court, um, that the governor would have signed off on, that would have been through public notice and comment. We like to think that um, we might have done the legislature a service by shortening its special session to, uh, uh, by giving it a couple months notice of the issues involved in trying to draw a good sixth district. But the governor is going to have to submit this map as emergency legislation, correct? Yes. And so that means that by the end of session, my signee die, I believe, is it April 8th? 8th, okay. That's a Monday, I believe. 
and at midnight we were all go home and have a, a toast. <laughs> so uh, they can choose the, the general assembly can choose to take it up. I, I assume that um, that's still up in the air whether they will or not. And that, have you get that's a, a diplomatic way of putting it. Um, they <laughs> um, some members of the leadership um, have indicated that they will adopt a frosty um, uh, approach to, uh, but but. Nonetheless, the the schedule is tight. On the other hand, should for whatever reason they decide that this is something where they'd like to uh, cooperate and um, either co- counter offer or or perhaps um, accept this map as, as as part of some wider initiative, um, they will not have just the last few days of the end of the session because, of course, they can look at the map now. They can think through the issues of what they would be willing to live with in terms of a. Um, uh, um, legislation. Uh, they don't have to wait to begin thinking about it until the governor sends it to them. So, but in theory, would they have to act before the legislature is before signy die, or could they essentially come back for an emergency session? Either way, I think it would okay. be prudent for them to act before, but they certainly have the power to come back in a special session. Um, Ashley, I, I. I've heard of this great blog called Overlawyered, and uh, it's written by this tremendously smart Cato Institute scholar named Walter Olson. And in it, Walter, you often talk about the Supreme Court, and you talk about um, the the legal process. And I have to think, I'm looking at it, and politics does not just stop here at state lines of Maryland. Of course, people are looking at the politics of the Supreme Court. Wonder how this could come down. Is it could it be a a nine to zero decision? Could it be a a split decision? A five to four? I mean, it seems like. And as someone from the League of Voters, League of Women Voters, nonpartisan organization about good governance, wouldn't you imagine that the Supreme Court would ultimately decide that this is a good governance issue? And it it could potentially could it be a, a nine to zero case? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I'm already predicting. Who wants to go the, first? Uh, um, we know that the Supreme Court has surprised people and kept them guessing on this issue as on some others. Uh, last year, when it was uh, widely considered that they were on the verge of a big 5-4 decision one way or the other, they instead finessed things with a pair of decisions on the Wisconsin case, then pending, Mm. and the Maryland case, uh, which had near unanimity. There were a couple of minor concurrences, but the last thing people were expecting on this hard-fought issue was a non-zero decision. And yet, uh, by deciding the Wisconsin case on the basis of standing and the Maryland case on the uh, difference between a preliminary injunction and a regular old injunction, uh, they got it off their plate. They found quite a bit to agree on between the liberal and conservative wings of the court. And and that I think is a lesson in humility for those who uh, believe that they can game out Supreme Court opinions. It, uh, they have a lot of resources to um, uh, decide cases on a different basis uh, and sometimes on a more cross-cutting, uh, cross-factional basis mm-hmm. than 
um, you know, one of the interesting developments in the last few years has been um, these cross-factional alliances in which, for example, often Justice Elena Kagan and John Roberts will find ways of deciding cases very narrowly, while Justice Neil Gorsuch and Justice Sonia Sotomayor have been teaming up on criminal uh, law issues to uh, you know, demand somewhat more radical rethinking of, of accepted principles. The, the court is in flux, and the court doesn't like the idea of yeah. being seen to be in a rut. So this is an issue. Is there a wild card I would, on the court? Well, perhaps there are nine wild cards. I'd like to, ah, I can always hope. Um, but let me just point out uh, wh- while I'm at it that um, we know that Governor Hogan and Arnold Schwarzenegger have again uh, recently filed an amicus brief. Just yesterday. But um, people pointed out that uh, Ronald Reagan, for example, when this issue came up, Ronald Reagan was a strong reformer on um, uh, gerrymandering and redistricting, an issue, of course, that California has faced many, many times over its history. And um, this is a good government uh, point of view that uh, can and should transcend some of the lines that divide the Supreme Court. I think I'd also point out that, um, so I think it was Friday that the briefs were due government advocates that have filed briefs in support of Benesek uh, and the uh, Pelham. The, the Supreme Court case that will be decided in, in, in June. Yes, and so um, the League of Women Voters is one of those groups as well, um, and they uh, their brief applies to both the North Carolina and the uh, Maryland case, and I believe uh, the governor's uh, briefs do as well. Um, so I think that really speaks to the nonpartisanship of the issue as well, because you know the case out of North Carolina is a gerrymander for Republicans, and the case in Maryland is uh, for Democrats. But everybody is in support of both um, of the reformers yeah. that have brought their cases. In, in general, most people expect that whatever principles the court announces will be principles for both the goose and the gander, but for both the states gerrymandered by Republicans and the uh, and and states gerrymandered of Democrats. So I hate to speculate, but thinking ahead to the Supreme Court, um, if they decide, what, what could be some of the the, the consequences of this case, um, Walter, in, in terms of, or what could be some of the scenarios that might play out? Could they knock it back down, or could they essentially rule that the the map is fine? What What could happen? court has a lot of power to make things come out um, in many different ways, to be narrow or to be broad, to be sweeping and philosophical or to be very technical and legalistic. And so we will be watching closely on that. Now, one way of figuring out where the court is is to look at past decisions that it's made. And uh, I am in the uh, business of parsing old decisions. So I wrote, I, I will not ask you to read it, but I wrote a 7,000 word uh, uh, piece for the Cato uh, Supreme Court review, uh, marching through uh, the often rather confused and, and changing every 10 years approach that the court has taken so far. Um, from their point of view, um, the durable ongoing issues that they've worried about are 
um, floodgates issues and um, uh, whether or not they can prescribe a principle with enough clarity so that lower court judges and, in general, all the actors in the system know what they're supposed to do. Um, The floodgates include uh, the possibility that, depending on how they announce a principle, they might um, be faced with hundreds of cases involving drawing city council districts and so forth. And there are a lot of geographically drawn districts and uh, so a lot of potential litigation. No one wants to have to be dealing with a large volume of litigation if they can help it. The second point, though, which is in some ways more serious for them, is that um, they feel, and this extends to both the conservative and liberal wings of the court, most of the justices have talked about how they need something that is sufficiently objective and determinate so that when they announce it uh, and when disputes begin to bubble up through the lower courts, the case will come out the same way whether you happen to get a liberal judge or a conservative judge, a Democratic appointed or a Republican appointed judge. Um, That's the test of success. If it will come out the same way, whether you get the most liberal or the most conservative judge, then it's working properly in restoring public confidence that the process has been depoliticized. Uh, If, on the other hand, they, as has happened with certain of the earlier ones that they did, um, what they announce is so soupy that courts head off in a bunch of different directions, then public confidence um, may droop because um, people may feel that they're getting a different deal based on, uh, you know, who won the race to the courthouse or, you know, what kind of judge happens to have been appointed in in your area. And they don't want that. They worry that it will sap the legitimacy of the courts by seeming to make the courts too political. All the justices worry about that. Well, and Ashley, we want to make sure that once the decision comes down that the state of Maryland has a clear roadmap. We want to know exactly what we need to do as far as a legislative body and what the governor needs to do, because ultimately the citizens of Maryland in the 6th District and other districts, we just want to know what our congressional district is going to look like. and things like that, but um, this power of running elections and uh, drawing these election districts is given to states because there is this nuance in every state that people within that state understand, Um, and so possibly a national solution won't be as complete. So in terms of making sure that the, what as Walter was saying, it's not too soupy, but it may need to be more general so that states can do what's best for their state in terms of that nuance. What has been the input from the administration, from uh, Governor Hogan's administration throughout this process? Has the governor been hands-off, or has his planning department worked exclusively with your commission? How did that unfold? Uh, I would say that uh, we've worked with planning department and the governor's staff has uh, very actively not (laughs) input on the work that we're doing. Um, And even when it came to our selection process from the public application pool of who was going to be on the commission, uh, that was a decision between the three of us um, and we um, just very much crafted this commission and the work that we have done, we made it our own. How many? Go ahead. 
Please. Yeah, pl planning has been very helpful because there, uh, especially with the public website for map submission, uh, that was a pretty big project. Uh, although it has been done before, uh, one of the things that was different this time was that it was being done in the middle of a 10-year census cycle. And the industry of software support for redistricting through these public mapping programs uh, is super cyclical. I understand that they hire a whole bunch of people just as the census cycle is about to begin. So suddenly a request comes in from Maryland saying, here we are at an oddball moment in the cycle, and we need you to gear up uh, public map submission, which is not something that's probably going on in any other state at the moment. My presumption is is that the commission had to take a hard look at demographic information as well. Do you know where there's a, it, within the 6th District, are, are, you, are we seeing more people move into, let's say, the city of Frederick or that surrounding area? Where is the population growing at in in this district? Well, we didn't need to worry about that as much as you might think, because our assignment was to use the old census data and to assume that no one has moved. Uh, there was an adjustment for Maryland's special law reallocating prisoners uh, to the last place they lived before incarceration. Ah. But other than that, uh, we were essentially using the same numbers as had been used uh, eight years ago. Now, um, the... Um, uh, you know, the, it, were, were someone doing the whole state for the next census cycle, um, you know, it, it's traditional for, for politicians who are looking at every other type of advantage to try to get some advantage by predicting where new suburban development will take place and finding ways to turn that to their opponent's disadvantage. Fortunately, we, you know, we, we were working with the old numbers. We were told not to take politics into account. We don't have to worry about where housing is going to be built. Um, and and finally, there was one one per comp public commenter tonight raised an issue of how the the public sessions were advertised, and I know that you have no advertising budget. They they didn't give you a pot of money to say here's ten thousand dollars and use this for Facebook ads, use this for radio or television to advertise the work that you're done or to encourage people to attend these public sessions. What uh, has that been a constraint on the process, or have you been able to to reach thousands of people who live who live now in the sixth district? Uh, so, for speaking for the League of Women Voters, uh, we've been kind of all over it. So, we've been blasting uh, emails out. We've been doing social media posts. Uh, we work in coalition with the gerrymander. Uh, so, those partners of ours have uh, spread the news as well. Um, I have gotten um, like Google alerts of what appear to be press releases that I assume came out from the governor's office. So they've been in local papers um, making those announcements and things like that. Um, but I can only speak for our part as an organization. It's an old, old story that getting out news of meetings is easier in a media market like Frederick than a media market like Washington, D.C. Yeah, and you said that tonight because you, you get the Frederick News Post. Yeah, and the Frederick News Post uh, was wonderful again today, as they have been wonderful several times in a row, in uh, running an article which had a box of where and when the uh, hearing was going to be held. Now, I think we've done 
quite well at getting um, the overall process covered um, elsewhere. For example, the Washington Post, Jennifer Barrios did a wonderful piece. But uh, by its nature, the Post with, uh, is less likely to run a hearing notice of an upcoming hearing. Uh, and so, uh, as Ashley said, social media has been important. Um, I have tried to um, I've, I've sent out a lot of emails uh, to um, members of the General Assembly, for example. A few of them bounced back because I guess I hadn't guessed their nicknames correctly. But uh, <laughs> mo most of them went through, mm -hmm. um, hoping to get attendance from elected officials, which is always uh, helpful. And I, I will say in uh, Frederick County, um, uh, County Executive Jan Gardner was extremely helpful. She put out word uh, around Frederick, and it helped uh, our hearing there. Uh, I, I know a number of people came uh, because she had put out word about it. So it's um, it's probably also true that awareness of this whole set of issues um, is much stronger in the more northerly areas. Uh, the um, Cumberland hearing that we had was the, not only the largest in terms of number of people who came out, but we, I think many of us noticed that it was the best informed as far as uh, the people in Cumberland could, um, in many cases, reel off the history of the district going back several uh, census cycles and uh, knew a great deal about its history. And in Montgomery County, although you have a lot of highly civically minded people uh, with uh, strong grounding in political science in Montgomery County. When you're in Montgomery County, there's a lot else going on than the district's sure. uh, boundaries. Uh, you know, there, there's the whole Washington scene. There's uh, uh, you know county politics and much else that uh, that distracts from it. And so um, we had. Um, we had good attendance in Montgomery County, but obviously as a share of the population, um, uh, for Cumberland to produce the biggest crowd meant that Cumberland, with its population, uh, was really, really interested in our issue. Speaking as a Western Marylander born and raised, I think that's indicative that the Western Marylanders feel somewhat of a disconnect to the current district lines drawn, that I often hear, especially when I follow the, the political process, the campaign process, that Garrett, Allegheny, and Washington counties have very little in common with someone, let's say, down in Rockville or Potomac, uh, it, even in Gaithersburg, that they feel this disconnect between, and look where the members of Congress have come from, or where the candidates have come from. Um, so that's... Uh, that speaks volumes that you had a, a, a massive crowd come out up in, in in Cumberland. And I think they're looking to s forward to the, the whatever happens with the map that they have fair representation, that the district uh, and wh whomever is their representative um, will listen to their needs. And so that's the that's the biggest question. We'll end on this. Will we have a congressional a new congressional map by 2020? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know because I don't see how we could not with everything that is happening but um, it depends on how long things play out I guess too because there is a time constraint I try to stay out of the prediction business because all of my political predictions tend to <laughs> not, not come true but <clears throat> but I know that the sense of public opinion um, is, is really united on this uh, uh, 
it's hard to think of anyone who came out to any of our hearings and supported the old map. And that goes across the political spectrum because we've heard from people across the political spectrum. There's very little um, uh, inclination to support the map as it is. And so if the people are heard, then the map will change. Well, I think that this commission should be applauded for its work. Um, as a resident of the 6th District, my family and I are are very proud of this commission's work, and I, I appreciate you volunteering what I believe is a significant portion of your time over the last several months um, to do a civic responsibility. So my hat is off to you. Thank you for committing your time and your efforts to ensuring that government is m more representative, more transparent, and uh, that uh, it's fair. That's that's what I think the residents of the 6th District, knowing what I know and born, being born and raised, they want a fair map. They want a fair process. They want a fair shake. So all of this has been fascinating to watch unfold, and this ultimately spurs a more national conversation about gerrymandering and um, both your uh, you know the think tank that you you're with Walter and with your organization the League of Women Voters I can think of no better partnership there I think it's very simpatico um, so thank you so much for for coming on and having this discussion and um, when when do you expect to to wrap up the process Well, the end of session is the 8th. Today is the 12th, so time is a ticking away. I will be following this closely. Um, Ashley and Walter, thank you so much for coming on a Minor Detail Podcast. Thank you.